Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. We are stuck in an arms race against bacteria, and it's time we checked in for an update on how we're doing. In the never-ending arms race between microbiologists, doctors, and against bacteria, we need to develop new tools in our arsenal to fight back. And this week we're going to check out some new super weapons, including specially designed artificial cells and a new combination or dream team of antibiotics. The rise of successful and effective treatments against microbes and bacteria through the use of antibiotics has been one of the really foundational parts of the modern era, particularly in medicine. The discovery and formulation of penicillin by Alexander Fleming in 1928, building on a lot of great work of the preceding 50 years by a bunch of researchers to identify and isolate parts of the process of bacteria, all the way back to finding it in blue cheese and the work of Louis Pasteur in the 19th century. The development of antibiotics has led us to embark upon an arms race where we're constantly fighting against the bacteria themselves to find more and more weapons. And we've spoken about this several times here on the podcast over the last five years, and that is the growing antibiotic resistance. Now, what normally happens in any type of arms situation like this is you have a lot of germs out there in the environment, and only a few of them are resistant to the treatments that kill them off. And we take the antibiotics and it kills off the bacteria that are causing the illness. Fantastic. It also kills off some good bacteria that are protecting the body from infection. Not so great, but maybe worth the price. Unfortunately, sometimes the only stuff that's left over is the bacteria that are drug resistant. And now they can proceed uninhibited to expand and grow. And this is how we end up with more and more drug resistant bacteria. They're constantly evolving rapidly to develop new ways to fight back against our medicine to fight them. And it's not just on an individual scale. Of course, the individual use of antimicrobial hand creams, which the CDC and the FDA do not believe have any more benefit to cleanliness and hygiene and health than just standard soap, so just so you know, from the individual level, like soap, all the way up to the agricultural level and farms, where often animals are pumped full of antibiotics, which then concentrate in the food chain and lead to development of new superbugs or antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And this is a huge problem because we only have so many treatments and we have to come up with new ones. And this never-ending race is never good news. In fact, there are some bacteria that are starting to present that are resistant to all known current treatments. So we've talked a lot of times here on the podcast about new and innovative ways to tackle antibacterial resistance and antibiotic resistance. And this week, we're going to look at a few interesting cases of fighting back against the bacteria that are fighting back against us. Or in other words, new treatments and new methods to help give us an effective weapon against bacterial infections. We're going to turn our attention first to a research paper from the University of Helsinki published in Nature Ecology and Evolution. And in this, researchers including Zhuka Koranda, professor at University of Helsinki, were studying the behaviour of these superbugs and how they can get transmitted between animals and humans. Now, in the field of many diseases, the transmission step between animals and humans, or from one animal to another animal to humans, is how we end up with some pretty weird mutations in viruses, like the flu virus or swine flu. Uh, And what this ends up with for us is potentially a disease getting incubated 
in one setting and then transmitted through human contact to another and then it spreads like wildfire through the human system which is basically what happened in the event of swine flu but researchers at Hensel Ziki have been looking at cows and found how that all relates to a super resistant form of staphylococcus that's been infecting humans today so this is a bit of detective work digging through the results from current superbug infections and trying to track back and find out where on earth they came from and how we ended up with these mutations in the first place. Now, MRSA staphylococcus is an example of a pathogen that's most commonly called a superbug. As we said, this means it's resistant to most antibiotics and the end result of catching MRSA staphylococcus is a serious infection, which we now can't treat because we do not have suitable antibiotics for it. Now, in the case of MRSA, these bacteria often spread in hospitals. These superbugs can live there and then spread across them. And once you have it in the hospital, it's very difficult to get it out. But when you look at the evolution of the MRSA staphylococcus bacteria itself over millennia, you learn some pretty interesting things. And that's what Professor Zhuka Karanda was actually doing over the course of the study, involving a large team of international researchers. As part of this, what they took was these genomes of these superbugs, like MRSA staphylococcus, and then they sequenced it. And they compared these genomes to the genomes of lots of other animals. And by doing this, we can study the DNA changes over time. And we can see how the bacteria has learned to adapt to new and different host organisms over the thousands of years. And what we learned from that is that the journey for MRSA staphylococcus is not a straightforward one. It's not a linear line, it's a swirling change of transmission and jumps from animal to animal, from human to animal, and back again. And based on this genome analysis, humans were probably the original host to these superbugs. And when we go through the DNA changes, we can see how the ability to colonize domestic animals appeared pretty much at the same stage when we first becoming livestock animals on farms. What that means is we passed on MRSA staphylococcus to these animals that we started to domesticate and farm. So the bacteria that we had, we passed along to them. And over time, that gets then passed back to us and forward and back and forward and back again. And what's interesting is that the detailed genomic analysis shows that when the bacteria move from one host species to another, along the way it hijacks some new genes, each time learning a new skills that help to adapt and stay alive in the long term. Some cases, this actually gives the genes, the bacteria, the resistance it needs to fight against antibiotics, which is what makes it a superbug in the first place. So this is an important part of the puzzle to understand how we end up with these superbugs in the first place and what we can do to stop the transmission from one stage to the next. But it's not necessarily a treatment. It's more like detective work analyzing after the fact. So now we're going to turn from the University of Helsinki studying the ancient history of superbugs to look at how we can fight back against them here today.
So all the way over in University of California, Los Angeles, a team of biologists have been working hard to try and determine a new set of tools in our arsenal against antibiotic-resistant bacteria, these superbugs. So how do you fight a superbug? Do you need a superweapon? Well, that's exactly what these researchers are trying to develop. No, they're not building a Death Star or a ray gun. What they're actually building is not one super weapon. They're building a super dream team. A super dream team of antibiotics that can work together in combination. And by working together in combination, you deliver knockout blows to bacteria that's otherwise resistant. And this has been published in the journal NPJ Systems Biology and Applications. And it's a major step for a couple of reasons. The first is it's important for public health to have a reasonable treatment for antibiotics-resistant bacteria. Antibiotics are such a useful tool for basic infections to really super serious ones. And to have them back in our portfolio of tools that we can use for medicine is really, really important. But it's also a new framework for ways to develop new antibiotic treatments. So it's not just the fact that you've developed a new antibiotic. Well, it's more that you've developed a new way of using already existing antibiotics. It's not developing one, it's developing thousands, 8,000 to be precise. Now, scientists have generally been of the opinion that combining more than two drugs to fight harmful bacteria would yield diminishing returns. And basically, the prevailing theory behind that was you'd only get incremental benefits of combining three or more drugs because they'd be too small to matter, or the interactions between the drugs would cause one benefit to be cancelled out by the other. It's a bit like having a team of players that are all pulling in their own direction. If they're all superstar players, but they don't mesh well as a team, then you're expecting bad results. You can have one or two good players, and that's great, but you don't need so many cooks in the kitchen, to put it another way. But researchers and lead authors on the paper, including Pamela Ye and Elif Tekken, have been trying to find whether it's possible to combine not one, but not two, but four or five combinations of antibiotics and to see if they actually can be more effective at killing harmful bacteria. So, at the moment, we're in a pretty dire state when it comes to the toolbox of antibiotics, so we can't be too picky when it comes to selecting our antibiotics. So that's another reason why the researchers are now looking at this. They worked with four to five, even up to eight, different kinds of combination of antibiotics. But when you think about it, the combinations, and four to five combinations of antibiotics, if a pool of, say, eight antibiotics, yields a total of 18,278 combinations. Now, that's when you start playing with the dosage, you get basically this huge number of possible combinations. And that's only by looking at eight. There are more out there that we could work into the same framework. And what they found is all of those work to various levels against a standard bacteria like E. coli. Now, what they expected is that some of the combinations would be really effective at killing the other bacteria, but others wouldn't be. In fact, they would have the cancelling out effect that we talked about earlier. But the results really took them aback, because instead of finding that there was a couple of good combinations and that's it, they found thousands of them, heaps of them, almost 8,000. Now, in the four drug combinations, so the four antibiotics working together at varying dosages, they found there's about 1,676 groupings or pairs or teams, to put it another way, that performed a lot better than expected. And then in the five drug combination, there was 6,443 teams that worked a lot better than expected. They were really, really efficient at stopping the growth in E. coli in both those cases. 
when you think about it, Professor Van Savage from UCLA, Professor of Ecology and Evolution Biology, said, I was blown away by how many effective combinations there are as we increase the number of drugs. People may think they know how drug combinations will react, but in reality, they really don't. Now, there were some that didn't quite work well, but that was only like 2,000 in the four-drug combination and 5,000 in the five-drug combination. So out of that total of 18,000, there's still a significant portion of them that were actually not just good, but really good, better than expected. Now, one of the reasons for this happening is pretty interesting. Some of the four and five drug combinations were effective partly because individual medications have actually very different ways of targeting E. coli. So the eight different antibiotics tested in this case used six different unique ways of striking at E. coli. So some of them attacked cell walls, others attacked the DNA inside. So it's like attacking a castle or fortress, Professor Savage points out. Combining different methods of attacking may be more effective than just a single approach. Now, as is an important public health topic, these researchers aren't just developing these new combinations and finding which pairings work well and which pairings don't, and then locking it away in a laboratory. They're actually using an open access software to base on their work, to, and so plan to make available to other scientists next year. This will enable other researchers to analyze different combinations of antibiotics studied by the UCLA team, and then add in their own combinations of different drugs to consider. And that is the important part. And all of this is built on a framework, which is a cool piece of software and mathematical formula, which can analyze how the multiple factors may interact. And that's guiding the scientists in their combining the different combinations of antibiotics. And they call it the magic system. That's basically a generalizable tool that can be applied to other diseases, not just antibiotics or antibiotics against E. coli in this specific case, but things like cancer, other complex diseases, where you have a lot of different combinations and treatment options, which may all work in different ways. And finding out the best doses to match up and attack in different methods is very, very difficult. That's where this framework and computing power comes in. Now, this is some great work being done out of UCLA to show how combinations and teams of antibiotics working together can yield surprisingly beneficial results. And this opens up the door for whole new ways of tackling the problem of antibiotic resistance. Now in this arms race against antibiotic resistance, Biologists and microbiologists and doctors have been looking for ways to tackle these antibiotic-resistant bacteria head-on with different types of treatments and drugs. But just down the road at University of California, Davis, in their Department of Biomedical Engineering, Assistant Professor Chiming Tan and their team are actually starting to come up with another solution, a little bit outside the box. In this arms race, they're not building bigger and powerful, more chemical weapons. No, no. They're going to deploy robots. Well, no, in this case, not actual robots, but Lego block-like artificial cells that are pieced together. They can hunt down, detect, analyze, and then kill bacteria. But unlike using bacteria, they don't, well, reproduce and spread across the body. No, they just have their own little standard kit. And if you design them well enough, you can deliver and design specifically delivery mechanisms inside of them. Now, this might sound like complicated science fiction, but that's what they're actually working on right now and reporting in their work on the August copy of the Journal of the ACS Applied Materials and Interfaces. Now, 
they approached the concept of something from the bottom up. They said, how could we destroy bacteria? And they engineered these cells from liposomes, or bubbles with a cell-like liquid membrane, and purified cellular components like protein, DNA, and metabolites. So basically taking the normal features found in a cell, breaking it down, and then reassembling it the way they wanted it to work. Not a natural way, not copying something else, but sort of designing their own custom-built Lego block artificial cells. Now, it's important that the team developed cells that could mimic the essential functions of live cells, which is great, but it comes with a downside. They're short-lived, and they can't divide or reproduce themselves because they're a bit of a Frankenstein's monster kind of situation. These cells were designed to re respond to and use a unique chemical signature on the E. coli bacteria, which is what the other team of researchers at the University of California, LA, were doing. And what they found is these little artificial cells were able to detect, attack, and destroy the E. coli bacteria in laboratory experiments. Now, artificial cells have been used before in the past, but only successfully in nutrient-rich environments where they have enough to feed on to sort of run. But by optimizing the artificial cells' membranes, the cytosol and genetic circuits, the team was able to make them work in a wide variety of environments with really limited resources, such as water, which made them robust, especially in less than ideal or changing conditions, let's say in the case of an infected area, which makes them actually pretty damn useful. Now, these antibacterial artificial cells may one day be infused into patients to tackle infections that are resistant to other antibiotic treatments. So instead of relying on antibiotics here, we're basically relying on small hunter-killer specially purposed cells. But it has to be said that whilst it's been shown that these artificial cells can attack and destroy E. coli bacteria in a lab setting, we're a long way off actual any type of trial. So don't rely on this yet to be your super weapon of choice when it comes to fighting antibiotic resistant bacteria but it is definitely something that will appear further on in the future as we get a grip on artificially engineering things to actually tackle some of the world's biggest problems. So this is a unique approach to a grand medical and public health challenge from the University of California, Davis. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. We're tracking the evolutionary history of resistant superbugs to developing a dream team of antibiotics and even artificial hunter-killer cells. This is what you found about the new superweapons against the fight against antibiotic-resistant bacteria. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.